0: it doesn't matter you can cut little you know i know it sucks it's your favorite chapter like uh tom bombadil per- oh, fuck tom bombadil he's not he's fuck tom bombadil
1: Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, San Diego, California. Looks like you're wearing new glasses.
0: Cassidy Robinson, you are recording from an undisclosed location
1: in the Rocky Mountains, and I am wearing new glasses. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You brought it up before we started recording, and I was going to save it for the top of the show. We could either talk about how I'm now half-vaxxed. Mm-hmm half X, or we could talk about some ridiculously bad takes on Twitter lately, movie-related. Or we could talk about how I was cleaning underneath my desk before the show started because I saw some loose change and I was just kind of picking things up while I was down there, and I realized that underneath my desk there's, like, wads of human hair
0: in the carpet
1: that I was not aware of.
0: That one's disgusting, so (laughs) we're not going to talk about that. I forgot what the first one, oh, the vaccine. yeah, fuck it. Everybody's vaccine vaccinated, but me, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the movie stuff because that's like actually related to what we talk about movies.
1: yes, uh, before before we get way off track, which is I'm sure going to happen, today we're going to be talking about Godzilla versus. Kong in our main review, and the uh, streaming homework at the end of the show will be the man who killed Don Quixote. By Terry Gilliam, which is available on Hulu to watch for free. Yes. So there's been some just some wild, some wildness on Twitter lately. Absolutely. Oh,
0: man. Yeah. I mean, okay. there
1: always is. There's a lot of bad takes. That's sort of what the app is for. But I kind of wonder at this point, you know, like
0: do is, put some people do it intentionally?
1: Yeah. Is it trolling or is it just like literally people are just. Saying things to get engagement, not even a reaction. They just say something that they know is definitely no. false.
0: I do that all the time, and mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Uh, the only <laughs> so I don't think it's that. I don't. I I say wild shit all the time, but you're not verified.
1: You're yeah, not a, that's you're not blue check. Not everybody is
0: about though. the blue checks anymore. Yeah, exactly. The, what crazy shit goes viral that you're like, what? Ooh. Okay, who cares about shrimp tails? Uh, who <laughs> apparently went full milkshake duck, and you either get that or you don't. I'm not explaining it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway,
1: uh, yeah. So one of them. Okay, so the more recent one, this topic, but this uh, this writer at The Guardian posted this Twitter thing. So she says like, "I need to settle an argument: Is Alien a horror film? Yes or no?" And of course, it was like ninety four percent. Yes, because it is, and obviously, and what the hell. And then, you know, she was ratioed. A lot of people were like, why are you even asking this? She had an explanation.
0: Her justification is, like, it couldn't be a horror movie because it's set in space.
1: Yes, that was her.
0: The the idea there is... That
1: was the hot take. It wasn't just so much that she had to ask, but it was that her, her side of the argument was that it was definitely not... Because it's set in space.
0: So that makes it sci-fi and not horror. And her, I guess in her opinion, there is no such thing as cross-genre, like, multi-hyphenates, which is <laughs> absolute garbage. Also, I would say it is a horror movie first and a sci-fi movie second. The I, You know, I think the stuff about it being in, alien would still work if it was set on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, like we've always said, it's just a haunted house movie in space. Like you could have, you could have it set with a on a fucking oil rig in the middle of the ocean, which lots of movies have done. Right. Uh, you could definitely set it at the bottom of the sea. You could set it on a fucking big rig hauling across the United States. It would still work as a horror movie. It is a horror movie first, sci-fi movie second. Also, that's fucking stupid.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Most movies are multi-genre. Right, and that is specifically that one, but this is her explanation. She says, horror is predicated on the fear of the other, the unfamiliar in the world as we know it, space we already don't know it.
0: Yeah, that's such a stupid take, because first of all, I think that is too neat of a definition of horror and doesn't always work. Um,
1: and I think fear of the unknown is one of the, one of the main like contributors to horror in general. Um, and what is more unknown than space? Also cosmic horror has been a thing since H.P. Lovecraft, at least if not before that. Yeah. Um, since
0: the early 19th century. Right. Uh, and, and, and of early course,
1: 20th century uh, alien takes a lot of- Alien takes a lot from from Lovecraft anyway.
0: Well, also, uh, I mean, it's also also a body
1: horror film. You know, even even outside of just the space and the extraterrestrial sci-fi stuff, it's it's all about like fear of infection, fear of um, of a parasite, these types of things. There's
0: there's, I mean, we've talked about every fucking person who's written an undergrad thesis paper on alien has talked about how it's fear of motherhood and fear of pregnancy and right. like yes all of that fear, is there
1: fear of it, violation yeah
0: yeah i, I mean the, yes she literally gets like choked with pornography by a robot like it's
1: <laughs> not not, it, not the not the tweeter but the um y-
0: yes but, uh, but ripley. ellen ripley the uh, character
1: from the movie alien here's yes. the
0: thing i in general i hate Rigid definitions of anything,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because like that's not the fucking point.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I. It's so obvious to me. Like it. We're, we've already talked about it more than needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Uh That I. Ju- I really, honestly think people. People are just saying stuff. Like they don't. Like maybe that you're, was g- like you're a, giving
0: her the benefit of the doubt that she's not. I'm. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say dumb. Because I think that's- so. I
1: don't. Well. I I will say this I I don't know this person. Yes. Um. I know that they're a writer for the Guardian, and I know that the Guardian is a very mixed bag when yeah, it comes it to their uh their writing staff, specifically their movie writing staff. On one hand, you have people like Mark Kermode, who's uh, like a personal critic hero of mine. On the other hand, you have a lot of these kind of younger writers who just kind of come in and write nonsense articles. And I had one in particular in my mind that was like, oh, man, that was such a bad article. I'm going to look it up. And then, lo and behold, she was the person who wrote that article. <laughs> um, and so, it was the, So it, she might just
0: <clears throat> have bad takes.
1: I, I, she might have bad takes or she's a contrarian or something to that. Okay, effect. first yes. of all,
0: so the takeaway from this is you need to fucking apply to write at The Guardian.
1: Well... I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into it, but, it, you know, uh, when, it, when it comes when it comes to most of those kind of things, I would love to write for The Guardian. It's a very big outlet. I'm sure they pay well. Um, but when it comes to a lot of those things, you know, it's a lot of who you know and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And she, she's probably a fine enough writer and editor and she can string a sentence together and make an argument. Just doesn't mean that her arguments make it all any kind of sense.
0: And that, And that doesn't – just because you know how to write doesn't mean you're a good critic.
1: Right, but nowadays that doesn't really matter as long as your stuff gets engagement, which it did. Let's move on to our next topic. Because we are doing Godzilla versus Kong, I thought of the idea of like, what are some movie matchups that we would want to see? You know, and it could be movie Mm -hmm. characters, it could be just maybe they're like fictional characters we've never seen, you know, in the same film or fighting each other. There is some precedence for this versus that. In film history, yeah. before this, I mean, there's been another Godzilla versus King Kong way back in the sixties. Yeah, uh,
0: there, were, which had uh, two different endings. Um, in mm-hmm. the American version, Kong won, the- one, and in the Japanese version, Godzilla won. Um, yes,
1: And well, of course, we also had uh, Freddy versus Jason. We also had um, Alien versus, Alien versus, versus Pred- Predator. Yeah. So things have I, I things. I
0: think there. I mean, you also had. I mean, also going back to like the Universal monsters, you had Frankenstein mm-hmm. meets the Wolfman. right? Uh, you know, like there, there is a precedence for for the show showdown movies.
1: Yes. So what are so what are some showdowns that we want to see come to light? I have some weird ones.
0: I have some. fucking I tried weird to ones. think
1: outside of the box, and I maybe thought a little too hard. Uh, I love that. Uh, I. <laughs> Yeah. Because um, I didn't want to just do like obvious, you know, monster versus monster, but none of mine are monster versus monster. So, I'll Some go of with mine are. M- my
0: first one is the most obvious. Okay. Um, John Wick versus James Bond.
1: Oh, yes, of course.
0: Right. I mean, it, it just, so, you know what?
1: I still have never seen a
0: John Wick film. Ooh, you're missing out. Uh, I hear the numbers. Th- number two is the best. Um, so John Wick uh belongs to this like underground society of assassins. There's this whole like crazy assassin culture there. I mean, it gets pretty nerdy. Like there are times it, it almost has like boondock saints, but like done way better kind of vibes. Um, and it's I mean, you know, you know the whole story, right? Like it was directed by choreographers from the uh the from the Matrix, so it's very action oriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and it it would just, it would make a lot of sense to have James Bond, uh, you know, like, because something I'm, when i trying to think of these movie mashups is what wouldn't be too much of a stretch? Like, what would make sense? Um, you know, because you could do, like, John Wick versus Predator or whatever. Sure. Um, but to me, that's like, that's not the same, it's not the same vibe. Those aren't the same movies. Uh, although John Wick versus Predator would be cool, uh, but I would prefer to see them stay within sort of their genre conventions, and I I just think John Wick versus James Bond makes total sense, uh, and it would be super violent and very cool.
1: Yes, also impossible because they keep James Bond very very protected as a property.
0: Yeah, that's true. I originally thought actually John Wick versus Die Hard. Uh, you know, John Wick dies hard. Yeah, um, and that would work too. But I just think James Bond makes more sense with his, you know, just with his world, with his, right. with his vibe. Um, and it's Bond a little... is
1: more of a like hand to hand fighter with, whereas like John McClane's more of like a get out of sticky situation kind of guy. Yeah, and you know, like more the, of a gun you know, guy.
0: And well, I mean, John Wick is very gun. I mean, it's very gun foo. Yeah. Um, but but like. You know, Die Hard was originally meant to be like just and sort of sure. a, a normal cop yeah. versus terrorists thing, and so in my head, that like that's still sort of the most true rendition of John McClane, mm-hmm. and so it just doesn't make sense having him fight these like supervillains, whereas James Bond is literally a superhero fighting supervillains. So, right. um, you know, and a fucking bounty could be on both their heads, and they yeah, of course, would have to team up, and um, it would be really fucking cool.
1: All right. I'll start with my most obvious one. Gremlins versus Critters. Ah! I love that. We People <laughs> have been trying to crack the code on a Gremlins uh, reboot or sequel for a long time now. And I feel like this is the way you do it. You revitalize that. And then you also bring in this sort of forgotten B-movie franchise. A ripoff of Gremlins, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. With these... Ridiculous porcupine aliens.
0: The fun thing of this would be you have two races of creatures that are totally disposable. You don't have right. any, like, hero characters, so you could turn up
1: creature feature. This is just exploding, you know, alien guts and and uh, gremlins being you know shanked by porcupine needles and and rolled over in giant. Critter balls.
0: And And gremlins coming up with weird uh, uh, Rube Goldberg devices to, like, kill critters.
1: Yeah. So, we are – I mean, gremlins, too, already proved that they can go quite absurd with this premise. Um, Mm. And it maybe doesn't have to be as meta as that. But I think you could do something even more fun – with bringing in this because also with the critters universe you have this weird kind of sci-fi mythology of these alien bounty hunters who are looking for them those would be fun characters to have interact with like billy or whoever
0: yeah i don't know a lot about the critterverse Mm -hmm. but uh that does sound bring back Corey
1: feldman you know why not bring
0: back fucking leo
1: I'm sure he would do it.
0: If they could get Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio... like From
1: Critters 3. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
0: even if it was just like a walk-on cameo. It, even if it was just a walk-on cameo, <laughs> yeah. people would shit their pants. It would be like Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. It would be like, oh my fucking God, I can't believe they got Leo. And <laughs> they would... They would make their opening box office based solely on word just on that. from that. Yeah, yeah, it
1: would be a def- it would be a trailer moment for sure. Um, yeah, so that's my most obvious one. I think it's it's totally fun. I just want to see them go wild with that.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm glad we're thinking ridiculous here because <laughs> all of mine are pretty. All ridiculous. of these
1: are ridiculous. There's no way there's, you can like. Yes, there's something. You know, this is like pretty- when, when we were teenagers and we were writing fan fiction, and I would always jokingly say. You have to write Transformers meets the Veggie Tales, but it has to be cool. Like, you have to justify it. And it has to work.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Transformers. Uh oh, here we go. Transformers and Fast and Furious.
1: Oh, yes. Obviously.
0: Obviously. I
1: think we've said this before.
0: I, maybe, we might have, but come on. That's how fucking joke. cool would yeah. that be? and it could also be like an opportunity to kind of reboot the the Transformers franchise. I mean, they kind of did that with Bumblebee, but it was a prequel. Right, right, right. I think just like cuz a big problem with the Transformers movies besides everything about them, <laughs> uh besides all the robot action literally just looking like putting a bunch of hardware in a blender and and pressing frappé. Yeah. Uh the human element is has, is has never worked either. You know,
1: like really, they're no.
0: always trying to do these like broad comedy stuff that n- never works, and mm-hmm. you don't care about any of the characters. So let's take characters that are established, that are family, we, we yeah. care about, and that are known for driving sick ass cars. But sometimes those sick ass cars turn into fucking robots.
1: Yeah. Uh oh, they're Autobots. Yeah. Like yeah. They,
0: they like, steal some cars Yeah, they don't or whatever. know what's up. Yeah, they're yeah. just like, there's these crazy cars from this government facility that are on lockdown. We got to go get them for whatever reason. They get them, and out in the middle of the desert, they're like, we're Autobots. Help us fight Decepticons. All right, I'm Dom. I'll do whatever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Here's my friend, The Rock. Like, come on. Yeah. It, it would make so much fucking money. Uh uh-huh. I mean, we're talking Avengers Endgame money. Like, like yeah. it, it would – if it was even I feel halfway- like this is
1: the thing – because here's the thing. I have, like, essentially shut off all interest in anything Transformers. I saw Bumblebee because it had a good trailer. Yeah, and, and the director- And it was a little different and blah, blah, blah. But with – I with agree. This, I'm pretty much done. This is, like, the only reason I would go see another Transformers movie.
0: It would be exactly. I think a lot of people are there. That's why it would be a good opportunity to kind of like reboot it. Right. Let's get I'll, it away from and the also Michael. Also, like
1: the 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 Fast and the Furious franchise has been running on fumes for a while too. Pun well, the totally next one. They're totally.
0: going to space, so we know that'll that'll
1: right. That'll Maybe work. that's where they find the Allspark or whatever.
0: It won't be horror. You <laughs> know that much. It can't be. It can't. <laughs> All be right, What what is your next uh, showdown?
1: Um. Okay so this one's a little weirder I love it uh so kate siegel a.k.a. maddie from the movie hush the uh the uh mike flanagan home invader uh, thing versus uh Stephen Lang's character from don't breathe
0: i don't i haven't seen either of those so i, I
1: you haven't I, I, seen hush mm-hmm. i thought you had no so, i was gonna oh man I don't even know how to talk about no, this thing i you haven't almost, seen one. i
0: I was going to assign Hush as a um, streaming homework one time, but you'd already seen it, so I couldn't.
1: Right. So, Hush, uh, the character is deaf mm-hmm. and mute. And okay. Stephen Lang's character from Don't Breathe is blind. Oh, okay. But they are both, uh, both they're, characters. They're both like the heroes, right? No. in In Don't Breathe, he's the villain. So oh, okay. the, the, the concept for Don't Breathe, it's a, it's a home invader movie in reverse. So it's about these teenagers who try and rip off this military guy, and they think it's going to be really easy because he's blind. Turns out he's a psychopath, and he's extremely efficient, and all of his other senses have been heightened because of his blindness. Uh,
0: so it'd be like if people like broke into Daredevil's house, and Daredevil was the punisher.
1: Mm. Yes, essentially.
0: Okay, um, but you have to put these in terms. I understand.
1: Yes, but even more psychotic and like older and kind of a hermit. Okay. Um And in Hush, she's a, she her sense her other senses have been heightened because of her deafness and her and being mute, and so she ends up being a much more formidable uh, mark for the home invader who tries to invade her.
0: Do you think the uh- I don't know what the the PC term is, but I'll just say the differently abled community uh, loves gets all offended. This. Uh, well, do you think they love it or do you think they're like, come on, we're not all superheroes? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Or do they think it's badass? I
1: don't Their know. They're movie I'm, tropes. You know, it is what it is. I I can't say. Um, I'm just
0: curious. Like, I, if if you know anybody who's uh, you know of that community, mm-hmm. like, I'm curious what. I will say, does it come off as ableist? There
1: is a storied history, specifically in samurai fiction, of the differently abled samurai. So you have Zatoichi, the blind swordsman. Yeah, Uh, there's a lot of the one armed this or the or you know the Mm -hmm. uh, someone who had a leg chopped off and can still do this. And like, there's a lot of that. In fact, there was
0: Daredevil came from Zatoichi. Uh, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of a take on that. And they're there. They're, in fact, a long time ago, there was a Zatoichi meets Yojimbo uh, film yeah, um, fun. So I think there's I think a movie about those two characters would be a lot of fun together.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds interesting. Like, I, yeah. you know, I I think I I think the 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 concept is there. This that, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Okay. Mine. My last one. I'm like, fuck it. I'm shooting for the moon. Transformers versus Fast and Furious wasn't big enough. Okay, we gotta go bigger. Okay, Marvel versus DC.
1: I hate you right now.
0: Let's fucking do no. it. No, let's fucking. I don't do want to. It. Uh, let's my, fucking do it, Cassidy.
1: My They've head already
0: established. They're hurts. they're establishing. A multiverse in the MCU. So why couldn't it be that one of those wasn't multiverses even a good is the comic. DC universe? It's not. But it would be insanely fun to watch. I don't think it would be. Why? Why? Because 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 Spider Man is too serious for you.
1: No, because I think it would be it would be four hours of oh it would be somebody smashing hours. action figures together.
0: It, it might be a two parter movie if we could get a Marvel versus DC and then an. I mean, it's probably going to
1: happen. Like that is like that is like the reductio ad absurdum of all of this. Now would be the peak time for it,
0: <sighs> you know, um, MCU's like i said they're introducing multiverse they're they're doing a little bit of
1: uh uh i think it would cause some sort of like cinematic singularity that would like open a black hole and look just like everything would fall into it
0: so let's do it let's go there let's see what happens when shazam fights thor like come on it would be fun and and here's the thing uh uh Again, Marvel's kind of doing a little bit of a soft reset. Um, It would be very fun to have a crazy cameo from an alternate universe. Robert Downey Jr. show up as like a one last thing. Let's do it. Let's shove this movie so full of shit and see if we can make it work. Let's get the Russo brothers. They're really good at balancing, you know, uh, uh, this kind of stuff. Let's have them. Let's go all in. All the chips are on the table.
1: Let's Literally the last thing I'd ever want to watch. Like I get it's like an ice cream headache of an idea. Fuck you. It would be fun. <laughs> you could do it right, I guess. I mean, I I mean it would be
0: tough. It would be a challenge. It would be a balancing act, but all of these kind of are. Like it's already so ridiculous. And the beautiful thing is at the end of it it like some resetting thing has to happen to, you know, go back to the status quo for both cinematic universes. Uh So it ultimately wouldn't matter because these things ultimately never matter.
1: Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm sure there's an audience for it. I don't know if I'm it. Um, okay. The last thing, the weirdest and probably the hardest to make work, Van Helsing versus the Witchfinder General. Fuck you. (laughs)
0: Fuck you. Marvel versus DC is a terrible RDO that you wouldn't watch, but you want this? I'm not necessarily saying. I mean, yes, I want it. Of course, I would watch it,
1: but (laughs) fuck you. Okay, so the the main problem is here is that these characters are separated by about 200 years. You know, Van Helsing comes from like the late 1800s. Witchfinder General. General? Uh, So the Witchfinder General is an actual person. Uh, Mm. He was a. he was hired by the government or sort of hired himself. He sort of like lent his services to the uh, European governments um, to hunt witches with his crew of witch hunters. And they just went around, you know, killing innocent people. But since that happened, there's been a lot of like stories and lore and. Yeah, and, like the last witch hunter
0: or whatever. Right. Yeah. The so woman the Nicolas Cage.
1: There's been a lot of like imaginative retellings of of this pers- of this historical figure. Um, so I guess the only way to really make it work is that he would at some point be turned into a vampire and live to the point in which he encounters Van Helsing in the 1800s. and I guess he wants to hunt Van Helsing because he uses black magic or or he uses uh, the occult or- a little bit to be able to kill vampires. It's ridiculous. And, it, it's, I, I bit, and it's just, just it either feels I, like I it would be that, like, like a like a niche comic booky kind of idea or a video game. I just yeah. don't know if if like or just like a goth wet dream
0: or if like witchfinder general is like a big enough of like a cinematic character that it would like excite people. You know what I mean?
1: It, it, it's not on the level of Van Hels. I think, I think it brings in a very specific audience and that is like your like Tuesday night at the goth club steampunk kids.
0: I mean, sure. I, I get it. I just, I, again, I don't know if there's been, uh, like the uh, type
1: of people who still, for some reason, get excited by underworld movies would be pumped for this movie.
0: Yeah, I guess I, this one doesn't feel quite the same to me. This doesn't feel like, uh, this is almost uh, like something
1: you would see by like asylum or something like a a directed DVD like well, in the five dollar bin type of idea.
0: It just doesn't necessarily feel like a versus movie. It it just feels like, I mean, if we're talking vampires versus witches, that you know what I mean. Like, well, I though, feel of course,
1: like, witches would come into it as would vampires.
0: I'm just saying. I think we got to kind of dis- just. I think so they could needs- either
1: team up, although I think it's a little weird to make Witchfinder General like a good guy. A
0: hero. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I he- just think this
0: one is a little – it still needs some workshopping. I don't know that this one's here there yet.
1: Well, I think it's there. It's just a weird and bad idea. <laughs> I don't think it's
0: necessarily bad. I just – I think <laughs> it just doesn't quite feel like it's the assignment.
1: Right. All right. Well, I, th- I think the problem is there hasn't been like a definitive – Witchfinder General movie, exactly. I mean, so there was a Van so Helsing it's... movie. It was just really bad,
0: but but, but Van Helsing is still an a established character. character. He's in... Witchfinder
1: General. There have been movies about him, and but are... it's
0: But it's when you said it, I had to go. Who was that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Van Helsing has that name recognition kind of thing. I you know I think Van Helsing versus Frankenstein. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, yes, that's... Frankenstein was in that Van Helsing movie, but. That's a more clear
1: That's a little thing. more in the box. That's a little yeah. bit more in the box. Mine's a yeah. mine's a little bit more niche, but uh I mean, you know, for that niche they'd be very excited.
0: I mean, like I said, I'd still see it.
1: Yeah. That's a more I think it would work more as like uh like an image comics kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Or like what about um Van Helsing meets Solomon Kane kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I think it's it's almost there. Like you or Van Helsing versus Hellboy or
1: something. or something like that.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, I think I think we're we're getting there. <laughs> well, there you go, Hollywood. There's a bunch more uh, multi-billion-dollar pitches.
1: I bet uh, I bet at least three of those actually happen. Just by just by sheer coincidence.
0: I would not be surprised if Transformers were, and Fast and Furious crossover. At some
1: I would point. be surprised if it didn't. I
0: The only thing is, I don't know, I don't know
1: how much. It might lore. be a rights thing or something and just I think m- it keeps it, it, it from happening. Universal.
0: Um, they both have universal rides at Universal Studios, but <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe someday we'll get it.
1: All right. Well, let's get into the actual matchup that happened uh, last weekend. Godzilla versus Kong. I'll let you set it up. What is the the plot?
0: I mean, it's that <laughs> it's Godzilla versus Kong. It's, um, uh, there's a lot of
1: machinations that make it happen, but
0: yeah. So Godzilla is attacking these human cities, uh, uh, more randomly than in the past, because in the past, he has always uh been more of a defender. He's been, you know, in, in the monster verse, uh, I guess is what it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, Godzilla only shows up to fight other monsters. He doesn't, he, he, this isn't the original Godzilla who just shows up to smash Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's sort of top of the kaiju food chain uh, and he's like out of control. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, Kong has been in sort of a manufactured version of Skull Island. Like they, they sort of have caged him up uh, in Skull Island, yeah, he's uh, like in a
1: little Skull Island Truman show,
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, there is this scientist that is like uh, finds all this crazy Hollow Earth theory stuff that's sort of established in some of the other movies a little bit, and he feels that if Kong can lead them to the source of this power in this Hollow Earth. Um, core of the earth, I guess, they might be able to defeat Godzilla. They might be able to, to channel whatever energy is there and defeat Godzilla. So right. they get Kong out of his cage to journey to the center of the earth. This is also Kong journeys to the center of the earth. Yeah. Um, and of course this triggers Godzilla. He He's aware that there's another alpha uh, kaiju and immediately goes to to destroy him. Other stuff happens. I don't. I don't. I don't want to give away too much, even though it's been spoiled everywhere. Um, it's in the so trailer.
1: Mechagodzilla shows up at some point. Is it, I
0: mean, is it? Obvi- is it in the trailer? Yeah, uh, yeah. Is yeah. it obvious enough? It's a thing. Uh, yeah. So yes, Mechagodzilla rears his mechanical head at a certain point. Yeah, and and then it becomes. Kong versus Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla.
1: Yeah, this is directed by Adam Wingard, who also previously done much smaller films, uh, movies I like. He did, uh, he did uh, Your Next. Um, He also did The Guest, and he also did a sort of reboot of um, Blair Witch. Um, He was also sort of involved in that whole like VHS like short film thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Horror director for the most part, and. I'm going to say, I think this is my favorite of the monster verse, you know, starting with 2014's Godzilla through Kong Skull Island and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. And now this, I think this one has the best monster on monster action. Totally. Totally. Um, I I still think um, I have reservations. Uh, this isn't a perfect film, but I I got the I, most I, of what I want out of them. I feel this.
0: like Adam Wingard was taking notes. He was mm-hmm. taking notes. He was hearing what people didn't, you know, like about the previous movies, we get a lot of clear, clean monster action, which is which is nice.
1: Yeah, um, it's not always obscured in the rain or shot in the dark or you know under like glowing light, but through the smoke. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of atmospherics I, well, in like the first few Godzilla films that I think made those movies not as fun to watch. They're kind of muddy.
0: Yeah, I so I rewatched all of the MonsterVerse movies mm-hmm. to get to get pumped and um yeah i i think that you know this one is a lot of fun i think in general the kong movies kind of understand the assignment a little bit better right um they they're, they're they don't quite take things as seriously and and there's a lot of that in this um and i don't mean that it's like a comedy it's not like uh you know but there's a lot of like just really crazy silly ideas that they're like we're going to we're going to you know, commit to this, but we're not going to make it uh, grimdark. I will say, I do think this is more of a Kong movie than a Godzilla movie.
1: I think and to the that- movie's benefit. Because here's the thing. Uh, I mean, Godzilla's cool. Sure, whatever. Giant mm. lizard, whatever. But I think Kong as a character is a stronger character than Godzilla can be. And I think well, because of that...
0: He's more emotive. He's, he's a little more relatable. But in... And I do think Godzilla works best when he is just sort of a force of nature. Yes. So I do agree with you there.
1: I mean, I just I team feel like- Godzilla might be mad that there's less Godzilla than I was. I was a the little, other two I, Godzillas, but I, I, I mean, think- I am
0: firmly Team Godzilla, and I I was a little like I could have used a little more Godzilla.
1: I like um, I like the the way they frame this, and I think that my my favorite stuff in the movie. Not only was you know Kong as a character, there's also there's this young girl who's like uh, from the original tribe on on Skull Island, like the last survivor or whatever, and she can sign with Kong. And I thought all of that was great, and yeah. actually like was like one of the only human interactions with the kaiju's that it's actually worked in these movies.
0: I, um, I agree, and they made um, again. It just makes kong a a little bit more relatable a little bit more human right and it Um, allows
1: for some storytelling possibilities that wouldn't have been um available otherwise but i i love the journey to the center of the earth stuff like i love i I love how pulpy and harry house in this movie allows itself to get i would have actually liked maybe once we're there to stay there um, I know people want to see a city get destroyed, and and the final set piece in Hong Kong that looks like Tron or something is cool. It looks really cool, but I really wanted to see like creatures and weird shit, and you know, I, yeah, I, inexplicable sunsets.
0: I, I kind of agree with you, but I I do also think that it, a city needed to be smashed. Um, uh, <laughs> Although the, so big, I, the
1: big boat battle at the beginning is is a really great set piece.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, So I think that is what this movie does well is it's not just Kong and Godzilla fighting the whole time, but it is like it sets up each time they fight and makes it a big deal. And and I think that's one of the reasons it works is because it's multiple fights that have like sort of definitive kind of endpoints.
1: Right. Um, and there's and a rhythm to them and a, like an internal logic so that you really can actually well kind of, shot
0: you can kind well, of see what's
1: going on and you, there's a ebb and flow to the fight. It's not just destruction.
0: Yeah. It, it, it feels, I mean, it's very well choreographed. It's yeah. it's exciting to watch. Um, and, and they don't feel like they're we're getting shortchanged on the fights. Like, yeah, I agree that that scene in the middle of the ocean is i mean there's there's some stuff that's like oh this is pretty intense like mm-hmm. uh you know like uh Godzilla has always clearly had an advantage and, and here even more so um uh so it, you know it's like there's some cool fights and and i think they do some cool stuff to like even though it's silly, uh, some of the stuff I like the way they kind of level the playing field late, later on in the movie, and and they use the characters' different advantages to their strengths. You know, like Kong is he's, he's probably a little bit smarter. He you know he can use tools and and stuff. Um, and so I th- you know he like gets a pretty cool axe at some point that I'm like this is fucking stupid, but in the best way. Like right, like it is. So silly that he has this giant scale axe uh, that feels like something ripped from a you know nineteen forties like Doc Savage comic book, right? Uh, you know, it, it feels like that. He feels like this old pulp comic book hero, Kong, destroyer of worlds, or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I was they here lean for into it. all that stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and I think they do it in in like I said, they don't try to make it feel too real. They just try to make it look good. And I think that is is really cool. Um, Also, you know, there is stupid human bullshit, but there is way less stupid human bullshit than either of the previous Godzilla movies.
1: Well, what I think this movie does, again, correctly, is the human characters who are there, for the most part, specifically I'm talking about um, Rebecca Hall and Alexander Skarsgård, Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that girl who might be the only like human character with an, with an emotional component. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that works. That that yeah. works. Yes. Uh, but, but Alexander Scott garden and Rebecca Hall and their, their thing, they're just ciphers for the audience. Oh yeah. You yeah. Know, you're the whole point is they're, they're the seat that gets you through this ride. Um, and that's fine. That's all they really need to be. I don't really need to know much more about them than, than what the, what is given to us. However, however, uh Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things has a entire subplot in this movie with uh Julian Dennison from um uh Wilder Atlanta. people.
0: Oh, oh no no no, yeah yeah yeah. Uh uh no the Hunt for the he, Wilder People.
1: Um no, and he was other, also in the Deadpool movie, the the last Deadpool movie.
0: Yeah, no the guy I was talking about um he's like the the podcaster played by uh Brian Tyree Henry. He's yes, from Um, the show Atlanta uh, yeah the show Atlanta yeah
1: so Millie Bobby Brown she was the daughter of Kyle Chandler's forgettable character from the last film and now she's a conspiracy theorist or something and hooks up with this podcaster who is like basically Alex Jones and they team up to look into the conspiracy behind whatever's going on with, with Godzilla and why the government's trying to hide things blah 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 and then they end up sort of Happening upon the, the Mecha Godzilla thing. I hate it. I hate those characters. Every single time the movie cuts from monster action or something cool with the main cast. Um, or even just taking in the scenery or whatever. Like we're on this like trajectory. You know, the movie has momentum. And then it drops out to do what feels like bad human character bullshit from the Transformer movies. Teenage bumbling like... You know, gumshoes nonsense with characters I could care less about. I negatively care about them, and it actually hurts the film.
0: I think you're being a little harsh. I hate them. Uh, I, I I hate. Them I mean, I them. didn't. I didn't care for them. Uh, I didn't hate them, though. I was like, whatever. Like they didn't. I was just whatever. I was like. Sure. Like they, you know, somebody has to figure out the Mecha Godzilla mystery, they don't, whatever.
1: Though. They kind of do, but not really. I thought because I, I tried to think about this because every time they cut, I was like, God, why do we have to keep doing this? They better pay off. Like this better matter. And then by the end they of the movie, do. No, they No, they- not whatsoever at all. At the end of the movie, the only link to the major plot that they really have is. Being able to explain some shit with Mecha Godzilla and why it gets powered by this rare mineral yeah, power they, like, source gonna, and like
0: fuck up the computer, and but stuff, like- we
1: already have we already have a character who functions similarly. Um, She's the daughter of the rich industrialist who's building Mecha Godzilla. Um, she's kind of a mole in the Rebecca Hall yeah, character's plot. Yeah, she so that character, like that character, already binds those two plot lines together. So you really didn't need Julian Dennison and Millie Bobby Brown bumbling around, uh, making bad punchlines throughout the film.
0: I mean, I again, I I agree with you that I don't think they really, they don't add anything to the movie for sure. And but I didn't. I was like, whatever. I they was do just, add
1: 15 I, minutes. Okay, sure.
0: Uh, I I don't know. I didn't hate them. They were just fine. I think you're just, I think you're a little hung up on the fact that one of the characters is like a conspiracy theorist and that like negatively, uh, three they aren't all. No, they're not. Like she, she's not a conspiracy theorist. She just knows that godzilla is behaving abnormally like she won't
1: drink tap water because it's fluorided i don't even care about that stuff that's whatever that was just a poor attempt at like giving them a quirk
0: yeah it was a dumb and like kind of a dumb joke but yeah
1: it, that's what i meant by like bad transformers writing yeah
0: i i here's the thing i agree with you that they're bumbling and stupid and- i'm not
1: mad at them because I, th- I think it's it's weird and tone deaf that they're conspiracy characters uh conspiracy theorists. Um but I do but I wasn't mad about that. I was mad that their characters are dumb and boring and constantly tap the brakes on the momentum of the plot every time they have to cut to their bullshit.
0: I guess. I don't know. I think I think there's not as much bullshit as I mean, yeah, if they if they were in the movie more, I would be more upset. But I I just didn't care. They were like whatever. Like I I felt like the previous godzilla movie all of the characters were that
1: right uh, that's why they're not very good movies <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> so this so- one is an improvement in that way but it is still a, vest- a vestige of bad shit they're still trying to shake off
0: yeah i and i agree with uh, adam wingard he came out and he's like i think audiences are ready to just like not have human characters in these movies and i and i agree yeah. like, i
1: don't know if maybe Millie Bobby Brown was contracted for a certain amount of these movies or something and Kyle Chandler cuz he's still in this for some reason too. Um Yeah, but bar- he's barely in it. Like I I know, but I'm saying like maybe they were just contracted so they're like, well we got to like give them something to do. Um, I think it was
0: just kind of them trying to, you know, establish this as a as a quote cinematic universe unquote kind of thing. Um but I don't I don't care. I and I think I think my biggest criticism of this movie is we have a lot of human characters and I think we could have killed a couple off. Um, you know, like I feel like I never felt like any of these main characters were in any, in any real danger. Um, no. And and I think, you know, as annoying or whatever as they are, if you like them or don't, like we could have used, you know, a little bit of a body count just to kind of like...
1: Of the actual main characters?
0: Yeah, I would say my biggest complaint of this movie there's a lot of nonsense and a lot of fun action, but there aren't... There aren't really really a lot of stakes. Uh, like, I never really Not feel like... Not for the
1: humans or for the Earth. I will say this, and you can take this however you like. I think in a post-9-11 world, it's just really difficult to see giant anything smash over um cityscapes and n- not
0: and not invoke that imagery
1: yeah well i mean they make it as like fantastical and glowy and you know neon yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything so it doesn't it doesn't feel i don't real. mean they have to
0: be smashed by buildings like we could have monsters eat people whatever yeah, happened yeah. to that like you know mecha godzilla could have like chewed some people up or whatever like you know godzilla could have yep. I, I mean, you know, like I—I'm saying there are more creative ways to kill people than just smash them with buildings. And, yeah, they and could I step
1: think, on a car full of people. Whatever. Yeah,
0: I think these movies could maybe benefit. This movie could have maybe benefited from that a little bit more because
1: the stakes when that they do are exist,
0: smashing up the cityscape. It does kind of feel like a, a like a Lego playset.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when they uh, the stakes that do exist is between the monsters themselves. Yeah, and and that
0: works. And that yeah. does work. And that is I think the important thing of this movie is, you know, do we care if Kong live or die, lives or dies? Do we care if Godzilla lives or dies? And and ultimately I think the answer is yes. Uh I will say also I didn't super love Mecha Godzilla's design. Um It's
1: all Power Rangers. You
0: no, know, he it looks a little like he looked a little Transformers to me. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I meant and, more and of like And I would have liked to I would have just liked him to look a little more
1: like Godzilla, maybe a little more
0: retro. A little, yeah, a little more Godzilla-y. Like, yeah, I just think that could have his design could have been a little more fun. It was like, oh, cool, Godzilla, But then I was like, he's kind of boring.
1: I don't know. Like, if you were to give me a piece of paper and tell me, like, draw what Mechagodzilla looked like in that movie, I don't think I could. Exactly. I think it doesn't have a, a very strong profile or or silhouette.
0: Yeah, I think just you could even like he doesn't even have, you could streamline him a little bit more, make him a little like, you know, those cars, those fucking flying cars looked very cool and modern. Like, why does he look like a toaster? You know, I I think yeah. I just think the design of him could have been a little bit better, but uh, you know, that's a little nitpicky.
1: It works for what it was there for. I mean, Yeah, yeah,
0: he's a villainous Machine,
1: right, uh, and it gave like it gave a reason for Kong and Godzilla to fight together, which you knew was going to happen, and in, in one because they're not going to kill one of the characters, one of the main characters of their universe. uh So overall, I had a positive feeling about this, and I will say like you know I, I watched this from my from my couch mm-hmm. on a forty inch television, but I thought that the you know, the sound design and the look of the film, you know, it implies scale in such a way that I felt like I got a big screen experience out of it. So, you know, uh, bully for the film for being able to do that. Um, and I think that's, a you know, effective in its it's uh, especially Adam Wingard, who's never made a movie on the scale before. So I recommend it. I give it a B minus. It would be a B plus if it weren't for that Millie Bobby Brown and her friends bumbling around bullshit.
0: I give it a solid B. Um, and I mean that in the in the best way possible. Like, this is a high budget B movie, mm-hmm. smash them up versus monster movie. And if you go into it, um, like, I know some people have been disappointed by the story. And I'm like, why? Like, like you're getting the most ridiculous, like... You're getting Kong versus Godzilla, and and there's this whole crazy part where they go to the fucking Hollow Earth, and, and I right, yeah, right, right. agree. I I loved that, and and yeah, if I could cash in some Millie Bobby Brown minutes for some more Hollow Earth minutes, I would, but uh, but I don't, I don't, I I felt satisfied with what I got, so I was happy. I'd say solid B. Um it yeah. is a giant, like it, I think it takes the tone of. What worked with Kong Skull Island and applied it to Godzilla, and that really worked. Yeah, uh, I I would have loved to see some more connection to Kong Skull Island. Uh, like, uh, you know, I like I thought uh, when I saw the trailer that Skarsgård would be like John C. Riley's son or something, and I, I think something like that could have been fun to kind of try to connect that
1: a little bit more. Yeah, because um, there's a there's the biggest that's the biggest time jump between yeah. the two because that one takes place in like the what 50s or Viet- something vietnam vietnam yeah it's, vietnam
0: yeah, 70s
1: and um, then it's we're now we're jumping up to whatever but it, you, you can imagine a beast that big would live longer so well yeah and i mean then
0: in, in kong skull island they mentioned that he's like just a kid uh, yeah you know he's he's young um so you know he's kong's like in his 60s or whatever mm-hmm. like that's not what i'm talking about i just mean like you know, because John C. Riley is the heart of Kong Skull Island, but obviously he probably wouldn't. He'd be like an old ass man if he's still around. Yeah. Um. But like, just some connection to him, I thought would have been like a fun nod. But, but whatever. You know, I I think this movie does well with its runtime. I didn't need mm. a you know a five hour uh, wind guard <laughs> cut.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, let's go ahead and move on now to The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. This was directed by Terry Gilliam, and there's kind of some lore behind this film, because it has been in the making for 30-plus years. The script has been around for a while, and Terry Gilliam actually tried to get it made in 2000, with Johnny Depp as the lead. And they were in the middle of filming, and uh, one of the main producers had a had a kid who died and then there was a giant storm that destroyed like half or more of the set and they weren't able to drum up any money after a couple weeks of shooting and the movie just got totally canned and it never came to be. Um, mm-hmm. From that point on, he's been like working to keep, you know, e- in between other projects to get it made and it's just never really like worked out or he can't get his cast back. Cause it had an entirely different cast um, back then, and then finally, in uh, 2018, this movie eventually came out now with Adam Driver in the lead and Jonathan Price playing opposite him. And mm-hmm. basically, this is kind of a meta retelling of Don Quixote through sort of this modern perspective of, of a Director who's having trouble on set getting a film made, um, which is, you know, basically the life experience of Terry Gilliam.
0: Yeah, I, w- I wondered how much of that, like, influenced that part of the script, you know? Right,
1: like, yeah, I, d- I would like, I would be interested to know if there's been an adjustment to the screenplay from then to now, and like, what is there and what isn't. I do think that this was always kind of the take, Uh, but I don't, it might, might be even more specific now. Um, but yes, his name is, his name is Toby. They're in, uh, they're in Spain trying to get this film made and he's having trouble because he's, he's also a, um, uh, works for an advertising agency and there's this like,
0: yeah, specifically he's directing a, like a commercial campaign. It's not even like a movie.
1: Right. The for a vodka company. And yeah. there's like this Russian oligarch who's, you know, has this like wife who's trying to seduce him and stuff. And while he's down there, he uh reconnects with a crew that worked with him years prior on a student film, a version of Don Quixote he made as a black and white student film, and he made it with non-actors, you know, locals from Spain. And so he goes back to try and visit them when he's sort of escaping the troubles of his film set and he reconnects with Jonathan Price um who he cast as the original Don Quixote you know just a shoemaker who had never acted in a film before but who eventually got very involved in the role and he find he finds out years later that he is still very involved in the role so much so that he literally thinks he is Don Quixote and that uh Toby uh played by Adam Driver is uh uh Pancho.
0: Sancho. Sancho
1: Panza. <laughs> Sancho Panza. Thank you. And as he's trying to sort of evade the law because he kind of gets involved in some weird stuff with this oligarch and some accidental murders that occur. He kind of takes on the road uh horseback with with Jonathan Price's uh Don Quixote, and they start to sort of live out the story of Don Quixote on uh, sort sort of by accident maybe accident on purpose. Um, and as a Terry Gilliam film likes to do, uh, the line between reality and fantasy begins to blur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get into magical realism and, you know, what is fantasy and what is reality and what is, what is a comment on film, you know, metatextually and uh you know, what is occurring within the actual plot of, of this movie that happens to mirror the plot of Don Quixote. So there's a lot going on.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, I, I kind of don't know where to start with this movie. There are things I liked about it and there were things I didn't care for. I, I really, I liked Adam driver a lot. Um, I think he plays a good, he, he does a good, what the fuck is going on kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of grounds this movie. Jonathan Price has worked with Terry Gilliam a lot. Um, I don't know about him as Don Quixote. Uh, really? I, know, maybe, I thought he was great in this. Maybe it's viewing this with 2021 eyes, but I'm like, he, he just seems, you know, he's very Welsh, uh, very UK. Like, <laughs> I I don't know, like. Couldn't we have gotten a, a span, Spanish actor to play one of the most famous Spanish characters uh, of all time? I don't know. I just... That was a little weird to me. But maybe I'm viewing it with, like I said, modern, uh, uh, modern sensibility. Like, Anthony Hopkins played fucking Zorro. Right, right, right. Um, I think this uh, is
1: less apocryphal than that.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, they don't, like put full on brown face on him like they do Anthony Hopkins like they make him right. fucking tan right. um,
1: yeah, well, and, yeah. and Spaniards can are more like European
0: white I mean I don't think he was bad I just it was something I kept thinking of I was like why wasn't this a Spanish actor so you know I, I think Jonathan Price does well in the role it was just something that was in my brain I just kept thinking about it mm. um yeah, I don't know. I this one was kind of tricky for me. I feel like I feel like Terry Gilliam has done the sort of blending of the real world with magical realism thing better. Um there's a lot of this that kind of feels like Brazil to me, like it feels like there was just something that felt off about it to me.
1: I think it's a lot more naturalized than a lot of his movies, especially lately. Yeah, it doesn't It it's not as out there as something like even Brazil, which is like full on, you know, magic realist sci-fi, and then you know dystopian sci-fi at that, as well as Twelve Monkeys, which is kind of like a noir thriller sci-fi. And it doesn't feel as he did that, uh, and it, it it doesn't feel as you know, it's not as
0: manic as like The Brothers Grimm right like almost indecipherable because everybody's just kind of like bumping into each other going <laughs> you know like right. that yeah is
1: i a, mean there's moments in a, this film there's moments in this film where that kind of manic energy comes into play but i feel like they're more at his control he can turn up that point. dial when he wants to there's i think he plays around not just with with uh, fantasy versus reality but i think he also plays around a little bit with his style and when to turn that yeah. down? Because there's lar- there's large swaths of the movie um, where it's shot a lot more naturalistically, and it's shot a lot more pulled back and in frame, and you know, it, it, not everything's in fisheye lens the whole time. And you know what I mean? Like, it, it like yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I felt like that
0: was just kind of the stuff that I I mean that I connected with the most because I, I I like I I really liked I think Adam Driver had a really interesting character and a really interesting take on a character that could have been played a lot more two-dimensionally um i just think adam driver's a really good actor um and and was really good at taking this character that on the page feels like a total shill because he is right um he he comes
1: off as a spoiled hollywood you know nitwit who uh, you know, takes everything for granted and expects everything a certain way, and that's a big part of his character arc. And it's interesting. Yeah, and I,
0: I think that journey works, um, right? Uh, and I, I think a lot of that is because of the the way you know, especially the early parts of the film are, are grounded. I guess I just there are times when it's like trying to sort of blend this real world with fantasy stuff, but it. It just, uh, it never feels like it, like, totally connects with me. Um, like,
1: well, it doesn't do, like, the, like, Baron Munchausen thing or even, or even, you know, something like Time Bandits or whatever, where we get these clear, these clear cuts or these clear uh, notations of, okay, now we're in fantasy world. You know, even um, the Imaginarium Dr. Parnassus, you know, it was pretty clear when we were going into fantasy or someone starts telling a story and then we cut to fantasy. This movie is has this more kind of a subtle blend where it's this sort of psychological fantasy where it's, is it in the character's head? Is it not? Um, yeah, and, and just I just playing some, out in a certain way? Um, I think some of that works. It's more of this kind of subtle, Fellini-esque kind of version of, of surrealism. This is sort of Don Quixote through the prism of eight and a half. I get, yeah, I
0: guess, but I I don't know. So they're like kind of the last third of the movie, uh, uh, takes place in this fucking castle with right. this Russian oligarch. And like, I think there's like maybe a little too much justification or something. Cause it's like, oh, yeah, he's like really into costumes and so, And like that, so like the movie kept pulling back from the fantasy. And I think it would have worked better had at that point the character just kind of stopped questioning it. And it was like, okay, th- you know, this is just where we are. Like, I-, I felt like it was, it wanted to do that. It wanted to just go full on, like, well, now it's like in period. And I think it could have. it, But it like, it oddly kept
1: being, like, it kept justifying this stuff. And, well, it was and supposed that- to always be in question. And I think that's the, that's the game that the movie's playing that, you're either going to be I mean. on board for it, or you're not. Um, but
0: that's what I mean. I don't. I
1: don't think the
0: the the movie always pulls that off. I, I mm-hmm. it, it is a it is a, a tight wire thing to do, and and I you know Terry Gilliam can do it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like in this case, uh, it it aired a little too much on explaining stuff, and and it 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 made the fantasy stuff less believable to me, and it made it. I don't know. I and the, That's kind of what I mean. I Like, it didn't totally work the way I I wanted it to.
1: I kind of agree. I like this movie. Um, I don't know if it's the 30-year project that, you know, really amounted to that kind of a buildup.
0: I mean, and maybe that's part of it is, like, I know in my head, like, you know, this has always been, like, this passion project for him. And then, you know, I watch it and I'm like okay
1: you know i mean and there's some subtle commentary about that too because you see at one point uh, adam driver describes his short film as a passion project and at one point he's he's kind of like
0: reliving it in in right in 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 ways trying to remake it when he's like he's filming this commercial and don quixote is like the character in the commercial commercial, yeah literally trying to like refilm this this you know student film passion project and again i think all that stuff works i think the human stuff works
1: and i don't think I it's just, an accident that it's he's a commercial filmmaker you know yeah yeah i mean i think that all the commentary is clever ish um maybe a little on the note sometimes but you know at one point that blend always works at one point the police are taking him away and and uh uh Uh, The other Skarsgård, another Skarsgård shows up in this movie. Um, Oh yeah, uh, Alexander's father, Stalin, Stalin Skarsgård. Yes, um, says you know we'll just tell him it's an act of God, which would be what you would tell an insurer if your film set got destroyed by a storm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I mean, there's 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 that's why I meant this is more of like Fellini surrealism than. Gilliam has done which which plays a little bit more with with sort of the natural surrealism of of the celebrity uh, world the 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 the, the act the 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 magic of filmmaking blending with the magic of of imagination
0: but but what specifically rubbed me the wrong way um so there's like I'll give you two examples of, of things that I think... Uh, I'll give you an example of something that I think really worked mm-hmm. and something that I think really didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so something I think worked is like, he he stumbles upon all this gold, all this like Spanish gold. And right, he's right, like, right. oh, fuck, I found all this gold. It's great. And he like puts it in his pockets. And then like later, he's calling the, the female lead and Angelica uh, a whore, and he's like throwing this money at her, and then he looks down, and they're just like metal washers. It's just junk. It's garbage. And I'm like, that works, right? Uh, like, you know, he thought it was treasure. What was it? Because he was wandering in the desert, hanging out with a crazy person, right? Um, and then there's another part where they're they're wandering around, and they see this knight, and Adam Driver's like, what the fuck? And then he like fights the knight. And they and then he takes the helmet off of the night and he's like the guy that he found in town and he's like, Oh, we just do this to play into his fantasy to like try and bring him back. I don't I don't think they needed that justification. Yeah. I, I liked it just like, oh, that's that guy from town. Like like just leave it at that. Like I I just it felt like sometimes this movie was over-explaining stuff, and I'm, I'm like, it, yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't need that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you to some extent. It um, it there's a bit too much of a tug and war between of like what's actually happening and what's what's being imagined. And I, yeah, and the movie, I think some of this stuff we could
0: have just left a little more open to interpretation.
1: Right. I, I but I think part of the joke, you know, sort of the comedy of the film is that. You know, it becomes less and less believable that all of this stuff is so fantastical, but it's just happening in such a way to like create the Don Quixote myth. Like it starts out with, oh, well, they're on a set and like, you know, da da da. And then, oh, he, there's this guy, he still thinks he's Don Quixote. Okay, I'll play along. And it's like, then he meets the girl in the middle of the woods and it just like gets more and more ridiculous. Um, and so I think there is, kind of supposed to be a joke about that like
0: yeah like isn't it
1: crazy that we're all in a giant castle and we're wearing these costumes and and i well i and everyone's acting like this is totally normal
0: i think it works up to the point where he meets the girl yeah and then i was ready for the movie to go into full fantasy and and it it, i feel like the movie wants to at that point but it kind of just like and you know maybe it's like i you have the kind of improv rules in my head of like commit to the bit kind of thing and, yeah yeah and it it feels like it's pulling back with after that point it feels like each justification is is unnecessary and like just again let us interpret it let leave it up to the audience to decide what's real and what's not i i, I guess yeah. it just
1: to be He's more ambi- frustrating let it be more ambiguous yeah um i kind of agree with that i think that might have been a better take it's just a lot of kind of you could even cast all of these you know fantasy characters as the people he meets in the beginning of the film and have yeah
0: because that that feels very gilliam that yeah, feels like something you like would do. that kind of is what happens with uh you know in the in the imaginarium of dr parnassus yeah and, and i think that's why like in that case it it's been a long time since I've seen it, but they kind of worked a little bit better for me is because it kind of just, like, once it's fantasy, it just, like, fully lets go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what this movie wants to do, but it just doesn't. It, right, it right. feels like it's, like, clinging on to, like, be a real movie. And, and I, I felt like that kind of actually undercuts what the movie is actually trying to say.
1: Yeah, I and there could have been, you know, from the last time... He tried to make this film to now some sort of. Maybe he didn't want to like redo the entire thing again. He wanted to come at it from a different angle, and maybe that yeah. was the angle he chose. I think one of the things that's interesting about this movie is you can kind of see this Toby character is sort of a cipher for for Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. um, but th- he doesn't seem a lot like a Gilliam-esque person.
0: Um, no, and I kind of, I actually kind of liked that. Yeah,
1: because like we said in in uh, Adam Driver's kind of playing him as this sort of spoiled, um, you know, Hollywood industry douchebag um, who gets his world turned upside down, and it's sort of this funny fish out of water thing. That's the whole point of the movie. Yeah,
0: and I think a lot of the humor of that really works. Like, yeah,
1: it, largely because of adam driver is so good yeah he, at,
0: he can really sell like the yeah and, and i think he does a good job of like uh what the fuck and then just like okay <laughs> like, moving on
1: right right or or i love i love when he tries to like talk down to people but he he's and this is such an adam driver kind of nuance that i don't know how he does but he does it so well like he he talks down to people but his character thinks that he's disguising it really well but he's not yeah. at all no, he's he's really bad at it. <laughs> but, but you get but that again, nuance out of it that he that he thinks he's pulling it off. Um, yeah, I, I
0: agree. I think uh, a- Adam Driver sells that really well because he's a really good actor. I mean
1: – Right. And I think that the, that, um, you know, juxtaposed to Jonathan Price, who's like completely in fantasy throughout mm-hmm. the whole film and is playing it straight – I think that's great comedy and I love their scenes together. And I really, yeah. And
0: I, and I think that relationship works and, and ultimately that is the core of the movie. And, and I think, and I think, you know, the, the heart of the movie, the, the kind of uh, like sadness and guilt that Adam driver feels for like swooping into town 10 years ago and kind of upending all these people's lives. Right. um, I think that plays really well too. You know, overall, I I enjoyed the movie. I just think that weirdly for Terry Gilliam, he kind of struggled, I think, a little with some of the, I don't know, I guess not tone, but just some of those like transitions, uh, some of that blending, which which I kind of wasn't expecting from you know, yeah, um, I was ex- I was almost expecting it to be a little weirder. Um,
1: I was too, and I think that I think it's intentional though because the movie opens up. With him in, with you know, him shooting this this commercial, but it it starts within the commercial from the world of the commercial, where Mm. we just think we're doing a Don Quixote, which is what I thought the movie was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be all these levels of meta, you know. Yeah, I thought I thought it
0: was, uh, you know, Adam Driver was Sancho Panza. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm actually glad it wasn't. I I actually like I liked that take i I thought Mm -hmm. you know it was a you know i i like a postmodern telling of a of a fantasy
1: right and Um, so i think when he cuts from that which was would be what we would expect from him he cuts from that and it shows like oh this is a movie about movies and and this is kind of about him sort of like reflecting on this project and da 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 then i i think that's when i started thinking a lot about like eight and a half you know which was essentially fellini doing a movie about fellini doing a movie about his, you know, experiences throughout the industry and how he's reflecting on it. And it's sort of, you know, he's revisiting all of these women in his lives um, in Eight and a Half. He's revisiting all these women that sort of, like, outline his career, but in this weird sort of dreamlike way or fantasized way. Um, And I think he's kind of doing that here. And I think it works for the most part. The only thing that I didn't think, like, I think the movie just gets a little meandering at a point. I think it's maybe yeah. about 10 15 minutes too long. And there's yeah, I'd say towards the middle it kind of gets a little saggy and I'm starting to wonder like, okay, like wh- where's this going? Um but that's a lot of Terry Gilliam movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I and
0: I mean, he he is very meandering. Yeah. yeah, and I think
1: he he kind of tells his stories the way he tells his stories, and so I could complain and say that you know it's not paced the best or whatever, but he's not a structuralist in that kind of way. So, in in the end of the at the end of the day, this is just how he makes movies, and you're either with it or you're not. I I like this one okay. It's definitely not in my like top five of his projects yeah yeah but i think that it's better than some
0: i agree i i mean i didn't i i didn't dislike it i wasn't i just i guess i was frustrated because i think it it could have been better like it i think it was close it was close to being there yeah um it just it i don't know why exactly it doesn't quite have the
1: cinematic highs that you would think you could get but again, I think the understated quality of it is intentional. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's not fantasy in the same way as like as Time Bandits or Baron Munchausen. It's it's something else. It's a little bit more well, well that, and that's why reality I, as fantasy.
0: And that's kind of why I, I brought up Brazil is um, uh, structurally it feels kind of similarly to Brazil of like this sort of. Normal person living in a weird world that just right. Sort of it kind of gets like,
1: caught up in the cough gas weird situation. Yeah, and, and there's just
0: yeah. sort of this chaos, chaotic fantasy weirdness, surrealism sort of ha- happening all around him. Yeah, and eventually, you know, he kind of gets sucked into his own fantasy. Yeah. Um. In so structurally, this is, I think, very similar. Um. Uh. It, it just, I think, I think, uh, Brazil was just a little more unchained which works it works to Brazil's advantage and I, I think this one could have just been a little less safe I guess I guess that's what what it felt like to me yeah but yeah I didn't I didn't hate it I didn't dislike it um overall I enjoyed it mm. um, you know I think there's some pretty funny parts there's some you know sad parts but uh overall it was just I think kind of mid-level Gilliam
1: okay so what do you have? for the next homework assignment.
0: Uh, So we recently reviewed Justice League, the Snyder's cut. um, And that reminded me of this uh, documentary I've been meaning to watch on Hulu for a long time now called Batman and Bill. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about uh, the co-creator of Batman, uh, Bill Finger um, and sort of his relationship to the character and, and um, kind of how his name has been lost to history. Uh, So, uh, and that's going to be streaming on Hulu, um, and I'm, I'm excited to watch it.
1: Yes. Okay, and if anybody has anything else to say about this episode or past, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on I- Instagram and Twitter under at mcguffinpod, facebook.com slash macguffinpod. And, um, if you want to follow me individually on Twitter, you can, uh, at BC Cassidy. I'm also on Instagram as well. Uh, you can read my reviews that I do every so often at the Idaho state journal by just, um, Googling Idaho state journal movies. Um, and, uh, be sure to leave a five-star review and a once, uh, but yeah, five star rating and a and one sentence review over at iTunes or Stitcher Radio, uh, player.fm, whichever one you use to listen to us. Um, we're also on Spotify and Google Podcasts.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, I also have an art account on Instagram that I haven't updated in a while at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to use any of our ideas for a hot, multi-billion dollar franchise Hollywood mashups, you can contact me and send me my millions of dollars.
1: I don't think you would be the one who would get them.
0: No, we said it. We said it first. So that's how this works. Say, Nobody has ever stolen an idea in Hollywood.
1: You got to say trademark.
0: Uh, trademark. TM. All rights reserved. Copyright uh, 2021.
1: And that will be it for the episode.
0: Kong bows to no one.
1: Bye.